What's up, everybody? So I want to let you know that the Alpha Brain Golden Ticket Sweepstakes are still going on. And that's just a rad opportunity not only to stock up on your Alpha Brain or give Alpha Brain a try. Because if you haven't tried Alpha Brain, it's definitely one of those tools that's different than any stimulant you've had and gets your brain firing in an absolutely different way. And that's what our clinical research has shown, and that's what everybody who's tried it. You know, we've sold over a million bottles of Alpha Brain, and the results are in. It works. It's awesome. So this is a great opportunity, though, because if you get the Golden Ticket Sweepstakes, everybody is a winner, and there's a bunch of cool shit that we're giving away, from kettlebell sets to different other products, to discounts. Every single person is going to be a winner if you go to the golden ticket sweepstakes so check it out on it.com slash golden ticket and then enter the code and fill in the entry form there's going to be a grand prize for one of you which is going to be a trip out here to austin and on hq so you'll be able to come hang at the hq and do all the awesome on it things so definitely check it out go to on it.com slash golden dash ticket and get your 30 count or 90 count bottle of alpha brain Total Human is a complete reimagining of the daily multivitamin designed to support specific body systems on a day-to-day basis. Total Human combines many of Onnit's best-in-class formulas into a simple and effective all-in-one product, making it the easiest way to get optimized. Instead of one pill, Total Human provides two separate packs of capsules offering rich doses of earth-grown nutrients and clinically studied ingredients specifically balanced to support the brain, bones, soft tissue, along with mood, energy, immune health, and more. The day pack helps support memory and focus with Alpha Brain, gives an energy boost with Shroom Tech Sport, assists with keeping your bones and joints nourished with Strombone, and promotes more resiliency with Active B Complete. The Night Pack offers the body the mood-balancing benefit of new mood, along with the immune-supporting actions of key minerals with vitamin C and lysine. Both packs contain the edible algae spirulina and chlorella, which provide a broad spectrum of nutrients, and krill oil, which offers EPA and DHA for brain and overall system health. Total Human combines the absolute best of the Onnit product line with vital nutrients not easily obtained from food. So if you don't have time to curate your own supplement plan or you're looking to put your optimization on autopilot, relax. Onnit has done the work for you. Order Total Human and try it out for a few weeks to see for yourself. Set up a subscription, save some cash. Either way, you can rest assured that by taking these two little packs daily, you are on the path to total human optimization. Go to onnit.com slash Aubrey and save 10%. And get yourself on a subscription to this one, onnit.com slash Aubrey. Thanks, fam. Adam Strauss is a comedian. He's got a show called The Mushroom Cure. And not only does he do mushrooms, but he does other things too, like ayahuasca. And we talk about this. And he's found profound benefit for himself for some of the psychological conditions that he's had to deal with. And it's just a cool conversation. It's cool to talk to somebody who's been able to use the tools that are available to create a positive impact in their real everyday life. So I hope you enjoy this podcast with Adam Strauss. Adam, welcome back, my man. Thanks for having me, Aubrey. So it was really a pretty compelling story that you told me at the MAPS uh, Science Conference when I was there. And, you know, because previously we were talking about mushrooms. And at that point, I don't think you'd tried ayahuasca yet. I hadn't. I hadn't. So, no, no, no. Sorry. At, right. When we last time, yeah, the no, last I podcast, yeah. I don't think you had. I had. And um, then at Maps, you're like, "Hey, man, <laughs> right. I have some I stories did, for I have you. Some stories. <laughs> I did some shit. I had some ayahuasca. And for those of you who don't know, even though I talk about it all the time, ayahuasca is a psychedelic plant medicine indigenous to the jungles of particularly South America, some in Central America, combining a very high DMT containing. A uh, combination of plants, usually chacaruna or opiaje or wambisa, but it has a high DMT containing set of plants, uh, leaves, and then the bark of the ayahuasca vine, which makes it orally active. They brew it into a tea and they sing some ikaros, and it's quite an intense ceremonial experience, probably one of the most intense experiences you can dial in. And um, you had the opportunity yeah. to go dive in and do that. And what happened? 
good friend. Well, you know, I uh, I saw the ultimate truth. I can't tell you. You're not initiated <laughs> enough, but you know, okay. I've got it, man. I've so got it. Thank so you for tuning in to the Aubrey Marcus podcast. And there we go. Go drink it for yourself and find out on your own, kids. This is a side note, but I did have an experience years and years ago on 5-MeO-DMT where the end of that experience was like, oh, I've seen it all. Now the universe is over. Like such yeah. an egotistical view of losing your ego, you know? <laughs> it's like, I, I'm everything, but now everything yeah. will cease to exist since I figured out the riddle. So now that I am God, <laughs> the, uh, all differentiation can all, yeah. can all go all away. All of the props and, you know, and side <laughs> characters and sidekicks, you guys can all clock out. I, yeah. So that wasn't the final That truth. was not, no, right. <laughs> well, then after that, this was, I mean, this is like 2000, I don't know, 10. I was like, it's all over. And then bang, I'm back on my couch sitting. Again, that's 5-MeO-DMT. I don't want to... Mm -hmm confuse people with too many dmt so 5 -MEO dmt is particularly extracted from the bufo toad yes and um that can also be found in plants it's in vilka which is another ceremonial compound but it's mixed with a lot of stuff but pure 5 meo dmt i did a podcast on that too is one of the most remarkable experiences in the world but it's not ayahuasca it's not ayahuasca so, so let's talk about ayahuasca <laughs> first and if we have want to go into DMT, <laughs> if we wander too much into other psychedelics <laughs> yeah, well. yeah, yeah yeah for sure <laughs> Yeah. So, well, I had, it actually started, you know, I was, so I, I had all these experiences that we talked about last time where I was trying to cure my, at that time, very severe OCD with psychedelics. And I read a study that showed mushrooms had efficacy and I went on this whole quest. Tell us, give us a little flavor of your OCD. What was the, what was the so, weirdest, kinkiest little OCD <laughs> thing you would do? You know, it's, it's, so my OCD was, and to some extent is, I go back and forth. Do I have OCD? It's, I can kind of have OCD about that question. It's a lot better, but I still do get trapped sometimes. I can still sometimes get enslaved because I do view it as an addiction ultimately. It's an attempt mm -hmm. to avoid pain that creates more pain, which drives you engaging in the behavior even more to try to try to eliminate it. It's kind of that noose tightening, you know, mm. which I think is so characteristic of so many human behaviors i mean you can see that with substances clearly but relationships work yeah. i mean i mean yeah. like how many times i've created so much pain for myself to give myself just the distance mm. between me and my partner because of the fear of potential pain of losing her but in the meantime i'm con constructing these elaborate you know ideas and extrapolations about how terrible everything is and suffering and sitting him in there to prevent the smallest you know like right. amount of pain of rejection from there's her. something i mean with ocd particularly but i think it is universally human the pain that we perceive that we're controlling or creating is somehow less terrifying than the unknown yeah there's yeah. a there's a, a guy who does monologues he, he died actually suicide spalding gray uh and he had a line in one of his monologues he said i like to create my own hells so the real ones can't get me. And that's always rung very yeah. true to me. And, and OCD is kind of the zenith of that or, or the nadir, depending, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, but where- That was a new vocabulary word. Is the, the opposite of zenith is, is the- Nadir, is the, nadir. the low point, yeah. Ooh, how many people knew that? Show of hands. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> did you look at the camera for I that? Did, I did, yeah. For, for sure, sure looking at that. I've got my own, my own tail, yeah. yeah. But, because uh, OCD, it's like, we take the classic example of hand washing, which was not my form, I'll tell you about mine in a moment, but someone is afraid they're contaminated in some way, so they'll wash their hands repeatedly for, for hours. And the pain that they're causing by that behavior is much worse than the anxiety of, oh, I'm contaminated, because now they're missing their lives, uh, they get fired from their job, their you know, partners leave them, your life falls apart. So it's this attempt to control uh, fear that actually creates much more fear and suffering. I reckon I had a recognition about that hand washing that, you know, I I have like a hand sanitizer and I mm -hmm. pretty much just use it before I eat. Yeah. Um, but I do that and I was recognizing that, you know, anything that you do out of fear is bound in that fear. Like the act itself is like bound mm. in fear. Yeah. Right. And so you like bear the residue of doing something because that's bound it, in fear. Has that energy you mean it to has it when you're doing it. it. Yeah. yeah. It's like it's it's co-opted with the action so the action contains the energy of the action itself so if you do something in love it's bound in love if you do something in joy it's bound in joy if you do something in fear it's bound in joy so i was literally thinking like oh here i am squirting fear 
on all over my <laughs> hands fear. and rubbing it in so i can swallow it later yeah you know and, and there is some like i guess if my hands were really fucking dirty and i was on like airport you know handrails mm. and i was a little run down that makes sense but the research behind actually having some immune stressors as a hormetic stressor and getting some dirt and getting some things actually in your body is actually strengthening so it's something i'm definitely working on and mindful yeah. of like okay do i need the hand sanitizer now or am i good and am i just washing my hands in fear well since you brought it up let's break it down a little bit more though i'm guessing when you when you engage in that hand washing when that sanitizing there is probably some payoff in the moment maybe there's like a little bit of anxiety before like ah oh, it's probably better safe than sorry yeah, you for do sure. and you feel a little bit better for for sure well and then there's probably the moderate amount of you know like oh man I, like what did i touch what did i touch before you know so so uncertainty a lot of uncertainty the uncertainty like am i forgetting yeah. a filthy mm -hmm. door handle or did i you know blah, so blah, better blah. safe than sorry better safe than yeah. sorry to some degree but but again like that that general sense of fearlessness and the loss of that anxiety is probably going to strengthen my immune system more than my you know kind of ideas in my head that i have to go back and try and put together every place that my hands had touched and make a judgment call based yeah. on whether i need this or not need this if i had just that greater sense of confidence and the greater sense of freedom that even if i did get sick that it would be okay and i wouldn't be not worthy of love because i wasn't productive and it goes fucking deep <laughs> right it goes deep well, we, we have i don't know 800 900 <laughs> grains so <laughs> yeah but, but but well and i i think it kind of ties in i mean you talk about this a little bit in your book uh the idea and actually a new show i'm working on deals with this too where i feel like we evolve for a very different environment than the one we find ourselves in we evolved for an environment where most threats really were existential threats. It wasn't like, oh, I might get a little bit sick and uh, I won't be as productive. It was, shit, I'm going to get eaten. Yeah. And so I think, I think we, I mean, I don't base this on, I haven't done any research to back this up, but it often feels to me like these threats. So, all right, my OCD was, and when it happens, because it does still sometimes happen, <laughs> is it revolves around decision-making. So I can get very fixated on making the right choice. It can be quite trivial. Um, it's gotten a lot better. So, but at my worst, you know, I could spend an hour picking out a shirt to wear. Mm. And then I came up with the solution for this, which is, all right, what's my best shirt? Get 10 copies of that shirt. Mm. That solution worked for a week or two, but then the shirts were no longer precisely identical because some had been worn, they had different wrinkles. Mm. So it's like, you just go down the rabbit hole. Um, I would get trapped deciding what subway line to take in New York, what side of the street to walk down. Do I want sunshine or do I want to be walking through trees? Just every decision. Wow. And interestingly, the the I was not born with OCD. I think some people are, but most people who I speak to are not. For me, I, I was born, I would say, with a lot of anxiety, uh, some perfectionistic tendencies that manifested in different ways throughout my life and caused quite a lot of suffering. I, I was hospitalized twice when I was 18 and 19, but it didn't flower, if that's sort of a, has a positive connotation, but I'll go with it. It didn't flower into this sort of full-blown OCD until I had a very significant romantic relationship end. Mm. And the way I look at it now is my heart was broken. I wasn't willing to feel that. So I just went up to my head and was like, all right, let me just figure everything out so I don't have to feel this loss. Yeah. If I can just make the right decision in every moment, I'll have the perfect life. I could have prevented this with the right shirt. <laughs> right. It wasn't literally <laughs> that, but it was like, it did have an element of that almost magical thinking. Yeah. This idea that, you know, if I just, because, you know, people say life is about decisions, but I'd go a step further. I would say life actually is decisions. I think that is on a very basic level what our existence is, is we're constantly making choices. And that does determine the course of our life in some sense. I mean, it's kind of the cosmic joke. I believe we have free will. We have total freedom to take any action in any moment. Maybe not any action, but an infinite number of actions. You can be strapped down in a gurney and there's still an infinite number of things you can do. Mm -hmm. So we have that freedom, but the results of our actions are unknown and unknowable. And I think that's the root cause of a lot of human suffering and a lot of anxiety this illusion of control that comes from the fact that we can choose what to do but we don't know the outcome but i think that's also the radical appeal yeah because right? otherwise it's a movie that you've already seen right you know like because you if you know all possible outcomes like every game has that 
random element you know whether it's a video game yeah. you don't know when the monsters are going to come you don't know what the boss is going to look like you don't know where how you're going to have to adapt like you pick up something oh i got this new sword that has a special power and then you find the enemy that actually allows you to you know use that sword with that special power whether it's another game a game of chance or a game of you know where you're competing against opponent who also has free choice mm -hmm. whether that's chess or poker it doesn't everything has that element even the things that within the larger game of life the macro game the micro games we always create the same thing too you yeah know? i mean it's it is what makes the thing most exciting but I, yeah it is interesting to reflect upon the fact that that is the nature of our reality we have yeah. an infinite number of choices and then we do our best to hypothesize all the possible outcomes but that can be a true pathway to hell if all you're doing is living in this premeditation world where you're trying to figure out how every single thing you do is going to affect every other person and what their actions are going to be but they have free will so right. there's a whole spectrum and then you start getting in probabilities and percentages and trying to figure it out and then your fear kicks in and you're like fuck it i'm just going to take the worst case scenario and live that yep so that way that i'm like at least living the worst so i won't be disappointed and then you're fucking unhappy and that was my life for a decade, really. <laughs> right, that was good. it in a nutshell. It was exactly, you summed it up perfectly. Just every eventuality, every contingency, I had to figure it all out to decide what fucking subway line to take. Yeah. And it was paralyzing and it took me out of life. And I, you know, saw all sorts of specialists, tried all the medications, uh, nothing helped. And then I read this scientific study yeah. where they found that mushrooms had some efficacy. And I was, I had very little psychedelic experience at that point, but it was kind of like, what do I have to lose? So that was that was years ago and at, you told that story on the first podcast yeah people who want to dive deeper into the mushroom cure yeah you said sorry you you did tell that right, story on the yeah. first podcast so anybody who wants to dive yeah you can that, listen to that one listen to that one and listen how mushrooms helped cure your ocd well at least they definitely it. did there, there's <laughs> been significant gains and those yeah. gains have have built over time i mean i'd say this for a decade most of the hours in my day were spent on ocd I mean, yeah, it's tragic, but true. Now, most days I have no OCD. I'd say most weeks I have no OCD, but it does flare up sometimes. And when it flares up, I'm still its bitch. It can yeah. still take me over, <laughs> but I have tools to get out of it relatively quickly. It right. rarely takes over for more than a few hours, never for more than a day or two. I'd say that with, you know, kind of my, I've always had, you know, uh, on and off depression yeah you know, and and not not i wouldn't say it ever been severe but it's been there yeah you know and i think as time has gone on the tools increase the understanding increase the feeling of hopelessness which i think is a kind of rooted and co-opted into the idea of depression itself mm -hmm. like that has been diminished significantly because i do feel i have tools i do feel i understand the truth of who i am and like a lot of other things are sorted so those moments tend to be more fleeting yeah you know, i tend to have like okay here we are and then let me i actually had a had a little episode come out of the blue at about midnight on monday and i had to stay up till 2 30 and like track it and i was like a, it was like a fucking native american tracker just sniffing all the trails like yeah where are we what is this why am i feeling this where is like the, and looking for where the the kind of hope hopelessness where all these other kind of things these scents that i know um and i was able to kind of it took me two and a half hours but i was able to really unravel it mm. at about two and then really work through it by 2 30 and kind of get the answers and then ease off into bed but it, it's interesting i definitely it's not like it's gone yeah <laughs> you know but like i can see it feel it taste it track it i'll be aware of it resolve it and you know kill it in a night rather than have it wake up the next day and the next day and however many days it used to take right and i and i would say i'm i'm sort of projecting my own experience but i wonder you tell me is that is the change that now instead of because when it you know perpetuates day after day it's because for me i'm avoiding mm. i'm avoiding so it sounds like what you did instead is you kind of dove into it all right what's going on here you had yeah. a bit of you didn't identify with it fully because you kind of see it like you said track yeah. it and then when you found whatever this root cause was, you dove into it. I'm curious, you said you kind of resolved it. How, what, what did you actually do to resolve it? Was it? Well, I had to find out where the fundamental, where the fundamental root cause is. Mm -hmm. You know, I share everything on this so I can go yeah. into that exactly. So I just had my Aubrey Marcus weekend, which is my kind of transformational yeah. coaching program. 
And um, there was certainly some exhaustion because I really fucking put in an immense amount of hours and time. And But I think what I noticed was that there was some special people in the crowd, you know, my fiance being one and a couple other people. And there was some aspect of what I was doing that was not dedicated entirely to the moment of what I was doing in the service of, cause really I'm there to be of service. Right. But like there was times where I was trying to impress people, mm. you know, and like that. And, and, and I remember like a couple, and I remembered a couple moments where like during even a live podcast, I looked over and I like would look and see if someone was paying attention, you know, and like, and, the, and those moments when I'm really trying, and I'm, and I'm building this mastermind called fit for service. So I'm really dedicating myself yeah. of like being, I've been following that. being that is truly of service. And I think it's really testing me. Because in that instance, instead of being completely of service, even though my actions and my speech and everything in my podcast was ultimately of service, the why I was doing it was mixed. Yeah. And it was mixed between doing it to be of service and also trying to impress somebody for my own personal gain or favor or validation or some other thing. And it just felt kind of like gross and it felt kind of impostery. And I didn't really. I was maybe a little ashamed of it in the moment and so I didn't look at it and then it just kind of built and hid and became this like little depression that I had to work out. It was like, why was I feeling that way about the weekend? And I thought about a couple moments where I was doing things that had personal, like personal motivations and yeah. personal gains when they really shouldn't. And when I'm at my best and giving a speech or doing something, I divorce myself from all concerns like that. I'm just really in the moment. Even if I was fucking playing basketball and I'm looking up at somebody in the crowd like, oh man, she's watching me. You know, I better do good. I'm gonna fucking airball. You know, like I'm gonna miss the shot. Yeah. It fucks up your performance and it also fucks up, you know, kind of the identification with who I am and who I'm working to be to the fullest extent, you know. And uh, and so I think for me it was really just tracking that down and then also recognizing that there was some areas of judgment of other people that i was still carrying mm-hmm. and as you judge others you judge yourself yeah so as paul Selig says you can't lead some you know you can't put someone in the cave of your judgment without leading them down there with your mm-hmm. hand yeah so i was also judging myself because i was judging some of some other people i know and i was like oh and so i sent a couple text messages out being you know just expressing love and i actually apologized even for thoughts in my head even though they weren't even aware of it and people were like whoa yeah like you're apologizing for things that you thought and i'm like yeah sorry because i was like not singing your song you know i was not holding you in the highest light in my mind and i'm yeah. aware of that and i don't know obviously you don't know that in the physical but maybe you felt that in this kind of collective consciousness or whatever like i'm sort of yeah. so yeah so that was like the that was a little two and a half hour journey of like a little tune-up that the depression was letting me know like hey man something's fucked up here you know and then i got the opportunity for the tune-up and it worked that's remarkable though because it sounds like the depression had a specific message for you it did yeah it did and you you had the tools and the willingness to to hear that message and actually implement behavioral behavior that to try to correct yeah, it or, I, yeah i guess i guess to stick to stick with it and like because the first hour and a half i was coming up with <laughs> i was coming up with nothing yeah you know i was like you're just really like inquiring gold, like inquiring and like yeah oh, is that it and like no is that it no so it was interesting but i stuck with it long enough and it started to just really crystallize and i started to get it what, what i love about that is well first of all it kind of and undercuts this whole idea of mental illness quote unquote being this chemical thing that you have to just chemically chemically rectify right versus i think the more traditional view which i i subscribe to which is that yeah there's information in these states there's a reason there's a narrative there and uncovering that can actually uh inform us in ways that can help our growth and help us serve others yep but i also really relate to this whole yeah i mean shit even now if i'm going to call it out there's a little part of my brain that's like how am i doing in this podcast you know and <laughs> right and that is as a performer it's poison, and it, but it's a poison I still ingest small doses of uh-huh. almost every night on stage. I have not fully transcended it. And, uh, and I think it's part of the reason I still like performing, ironically, is because there's, it forces me to confront this thing mm-hmm. that doesn't just happen on stage. It happens in my life uh, in a lot of ways, this, this desire to win people over. Yeah. And it stems from... And you've talked about this in some of your recent emails. Um, 
it stems from this, you know, I, I want other people to tell me I'm okay because at some level, I don't believe I'm okay. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that external validation to buttress your own feelings about who you are and yeah. what, you know, your own worthiness. That's uh that's that's a that's a, probably one of the most universally applicable things that yeah. people do. You know, and and I think we've tried to like stabilize those points of validation, but as soon as we like put the fixate them on one person like you probably did with the ex that broke mm-hmm. up with you there was sure. a massive amount oh, yeah. of validation on her part and as soon as you make <laughs> any one person's validation of you special it's like having an undiversified wealth <laughs> right. money m- money account yeah you know what i mean like that one stock can crash and your whole thing <laughs> is fucked so like one <laughs> a strategy one is like okay at least spread it out right you know be mindful of how special you're making one any one person's thing spread it out to your community to your tribe i think that's why having you know a community around you is so important and i think intentionally spreading that out and then eventually the final move you know the ultimate move is to not need validation at all but i think it goes in a couple stages one being mindful of the specialness maybe your parents have a special Mm -hmm. amount of validation maybe your girl you know spouse has a special amount of valid all these people have these inordinate special amounts that yeah. actually can throw you off completely so like spreading that out a little bit and recognizing all your friends and all the people who you're really your, are your soul family like allow that allow yourself to take that in and then eventually work on just understanding that you don't need any of that because you truly do know who you are and i i think i'm maybe worse to put a value judgment on than you are because for me it's not just people who i care about and love it's at some level and i became aware of this on a deeper level recently actually as a result of a low dose lsd trip but it's like i want to win over everyone all the time <laughs> it really is that bottomless and maybe that's why i'm a performer you know that's why i need to go well, up I and hear you, man yeah i this I'll, I'll talk briefly about this trip because it does kind of fit in with what we're talking about where it was a family vacation and family for me is my parents uh my siblings both of whom are married with kids and then me who i don't have a partner right now but I do feel a lot of love from the family. We're very close. We really enjoy each other's company. We were in this beautiful location in Maine. And I'd planned, all right, one day I'm gonna do a, I tend to have a high tolerance to psychedelics probably because I was on antidepressants for so long. I've been off for a long time with this, some residual tolerance. So I was gonna do one tab of strong LSD on mm-hmm. my own one day and go hiking. That day came, <laughs> I wanna tell this, I'll, I'll abbreviate the story, <laughs> uh, but, uh, it was a huge blowout with my family about something trivial. Fuck it, I'll tell you what it was. There weren't enough eggs for me for breakfast that morning and it caused, and I, I reverted, man. I kind of had a, not kind of, I I was like, I need these eggs. And then my sister's like, I'll go buy eggs, but it was 30 minutes. I was like, don't buy eggs for me. And it turned into, we all reverted, rewound 30 years. Oh, wow. Yeah, and that hasn't happened in many years. I have yeah. a, a good relationship with, uh, with, a really good relationship with the family, but it was like, me starting to throw a temper tantrum, my siblings trying to diffuse it, and the shame I felt, Mm. just this thick syrup of just self-loathing. And probably the right thing to do then, you know, set and setting with psychedelics is, okay, I'm not gonna take LSD alone, but I was like, fuck it, I planned it for this day. So I I took my, my supposedly double strength gel tab, went hiking, and not surprisingly, it just, that just the disgust and the self-loathing and, Uh you know, and very quickly I kind of inquired and I was like, all right, well, I feel like I'm 12 years old again, you know, and making my mom cry, I'm a bad kid, I'm causing all this strife in my household because I did have a very fraught relationship growing up. I was an intense kid, you know, and I think my parents did their best with me, but I I was a handful. Yeah. So all of that just coming up and and just feeling like I can't live with myself. I, I, the, I can't live with myself right now. And then I went in more deeply and I was like, well, what do I want in this moment? And I realized, well, I, I, want, I want forgiveness you know, for my family. But then I realized, well, they actually did all forgive me. They mm. saw how upset I was, how, you know, and they, they all did forgive me. And what do they want from me now? They want me to actually feel well in this moment. So I, I have that. And it's a cliche, but what I ultimately came down to is, yeah, what I really want is for myself. I want to forgive myself. 
Yep. I want to accept myself. Yep. And in that moment, I realized I was withholding that from myself because I'd been a bad kid. Yeah, that shame and the yeah. guilt and the self-punishment of the judge, which is this certain element of the ego which doles out, you know, our ability to be happy or our punishment and our, you know, sentence of suffering and sadness until we've somehow redeemed ourselves right, with our own <laughs> pound of emotional flesh that yeah. we've paid the the old gods <laughs> right. to redeem ourselves for this horrible action that we had when really it's all bullshit yeah we're just learning we're just doing our best and learning and all of those times we spent punishing ourselves are just building deeper patterns deeper fear yeah. more shame more resentment because shame you know shame came up for you probably the minute you started having that emotional reaction because that allowed you to blind yourself towards what you were doing and probably double down on the justification for why you needed eggs and why this was bullshit you know because we were somehow already immediately shame started to cloud you and say no no keep going yeah like, don't really look at what's going on here like just double down and that have same it addictive make, pattern yeah the have it make sense yeah. have it make sense in your mind and that way you can keep going and fuel it but yeah exactly and then so but that as soon as that lifts and that veil and then you do have the awareness then you know the only path is like you said forgiveness and whatever remediations you need to do externally and that honest vulnerability like hey fuck that was i'm sorry yeah you know but and i and i'm i'm really learning you know and i don't know how long it's going to take me to learn you don't need to over promise yeah. anything be like i'm still really learning obviously still got a lot of shit to learn <laughs> yeah you know and uh and those moments are important because i think one mistake i've made in in my relationship with wit is i'll learn something once and i'll be like no nah, babe i got this don't worry about it <laughs> right, i got right. this you know and then like it comes up again and she's like what the fuck man i thought you had this i was like yeah me too <laughs> i thought i did and that'll just double the guilt you know yeah. because it's like not you should have figured not, it out I, by now yeah not only did i you do know not better. only yeah not not only did i do that thing again but i also promised her that i wouldn't do that thing again so not only am i doing it which is annoying but i'm lying you know and like breaking a promise which is like a double yeah a double thing but just knowing like hey i'm learning and i really am doing my best to learn and i don't know how long exactly it's going to take me to learn this but i'm learning every time and that's a lot more stable thing to say rather than this kind of over promising remediation yeah know, and these like extremes that we i'm try a new to man to. it's yeah i'm a new man yeah i'll never drink again <laughs> yeah. you know like it's that classic sunday afternoon with yeah. the hangover like i'm done drinking yeah that's it and then two weeks later you're just drinking again yeah yeah it's yeah no the shame is a strong thing and then from that moment realizing you know on this literally on this mountaintop <laughs> with this wow i'm withholding this for myself well can mm -hmm. i give that to myself and and I think I did, maybe not a hundred percent, but being like, yeah, you know what? There's some old patterns that got kicked up and, uh, and, and I got lost in them and that's okay. My family still loves me. I still love them and I'll continue to try to see this. But then from that it spread and I realized, you know what? I have this with everyone all the time at some level. Mm. I mean, it's my, my fucking Uber driver over here. There's this little part of me that, you know, and sometimes not a little part of me that really wants to win people over so they can well, tell me I mean, I'm with okay. With two-star Uber rating, obviously, <laughs> right. you're not doing a very good job. <laughs> Just kidding, he doesn't have a two-star Uber rating. Um, but, but anyway, you had asked about ayahuasca. We've already talked uh -huh. about multiple other substances. Um, but yeah, so tying it in. So I, I, the OCD is a lot better, but I'm still human and I still have, certainly perfectionism is still a problem for me. Uh, which I, I kind of associate with OCD, but even on its own, it's something that, that I struggle with. Yep. Um, rigidity, wanting things to be a certain way. Uh, all these kind of OCD tendencies are still there and, and they're deep. And so um, I hadn't tripped, you know, had really strong trips for a while. The, the time of the mushroom cure, I was doing a lot of psychedelics, high doses. I kind of got what I needed and I stepped away. Mm -hmm. But I read the research that comes out and these incredible results. And I felt like, all right, I'd like to do some sort of guided journey, but I wouldn't qualify for any of the studies right now. So it seemed like the next best thing was gonna be ayahuasca, having some sort of you know facilitator there. So I did it in New York. Um, 
I wound up uh, having four journeys over the course of two months, basically every other week in New York. And it was intriguing. There was nothing that was like, there were no massive epiphanies, but I had one experience in particular where I, I was just feeling this tremendous wave of fear lying in this yoga studio in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, and just feeling like, man, why am I tripping again? I, you know, my life is going well. Mm. I've, I've fucked up everything. Now I'm going to pay for this and just, just terror. Um, but I have an, I had enough presence of mind from past psychedelic experiences. You know, my mantra when shit gets really wonky is breath, just breathe, yep. breathe, yep. just That's breathe. So back to home. Yeah. Always. And I started breathing in a way, I don't know if I've ever breathed this way before. It wasn't even like diaphragmatic breathing. It was my whole body was breathing. It felt like every cell in my body was taking in oxygen. Yeah, you can actually take in oxygen through your sphincter. No, <laughs> I was like, why isn't this in the book, man? <laughs> and uh, and anyway, and it and it just and the reason I bring this up. So the fear, I wouldn't even say the fear passed. I was just kind of breathing into the fear for the next two hours of this experience, and you know, then the experience ended. But the remarkable thing about this is my breathing stayed different for months afterwards. I was still breathing on a much deeper level. Mm. So I was like, all right, there's something to this ayahuasca stuff, but doing it in a yoga studio in Brooklyn and then taking an Uber home at three in the morning did not feel like the right way to yeah. do it. So I went to Peru. Especially because you're stressed about- you know, my, my Uber, Uber rating. Driver. I know, I'm like, man, <laughs> I cannot stressful. afford another one-star Uber rating. <laughs> I gotta win this guy over. Let me have my best material ready. Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, his name's Muhammad. He's probably from this country. <laughs> Let me do some Wikipedia. What are some do, of the yeah. issues? Uh -huh. Give him a free Sudoku on the way, just in case. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I had an opportunity. I had a couple of months, not a couple of months, a couple of weeks. I didn't have anything booked. I was like, all right, let me go down to Peru. And uh, initially, I went to a place called Niue Rao, mm -hmm. yeah, a few hours outside of Iquitos. And Pucampa? Sorry? It's in Pucampa? It's no, it's uh, it's no, it's in the Quitos area, but it's uh, you know, it's a couple of hours boat and moto taxi. Mm, it's yep. Nan Champa is the town. Champa. I use the word town loosely. It's maybe eighty people there. Yeah. Um, and already going in, it was like, as I'm on the moto taxi, I'm like, you know what? I can still back out, man. I can still back out. <laughs> <laughs> it was like every Peru Airlines or whatever had lost my bag, and I was like, "All right, well, you know, that's a sign." I, yeah, I, I, I sure. can't without my contact lens solution. I can't. Uh, uh, <laughs> just all the, yeah. I mean, I think for me, I don't think I've ever gone into a psychedelic experience without some measure of of, of fear. Sure. And uh, so I'd committed to six ceremonies over ten nights, and I wound up, um, and it was not. None of them were easy, but. The experience in a nutshell, and I can tell you about this one we talked a little bit about where I, I was had the classic I'm definitely dying experience, but but I was getting a lot out of it, but I didn't see, I didn't have any visions, not one vision. For me, it largely was physical. Mm -hmm. It was a physical experience. I think it was my second ceremony, you know, and we're in the Maloka, pitch dark. I'm sure you've had that moment. They blow out the candle, silence before the Icaros start. Your senses are heightened so you can hear every creak of the person next to you, every hoot of whatever animal is outside and just that growing, creeping sort of ayahuasca in your, and I'm, and I'm in that state and some worry came up. I don't, I don't remember what the worry was. And I started going into it in my head. What am I gonna do about X? And I'm going deeper and deeper into it. And then I had a moment I, I re, where I realized, wait, I'm literally in this position, that sort of stereotypical position of anguish. I was holding my hand in my, my head in my hands. And I had the thought, some might say it came, it was the ayahuasca speaking to me, my subconscious, who knows? But the thought was very clear. It was before you try to figure out whatever you're trying to figure out in your brain, just stop doing this, just relax your body. Let your hands drop to your side and relax your body. And that was in different variations. That was a lot of my experience over. I wound up staying longer, doing 10 ceremonies over 16 nights was just, all right, the shit going on here. Is it is it stuff that you actually have to figure out now? No? Well, then just come back to the present. It was very meditative for me. Yeah. 
That's as there's so much wisdom in that because they can actually do studies, saliva tests and blood tests of people who are in different postures Mm -hmm. and different postures change your hormonal, you know, structure. So like certain postures will release more testosterone, just putting your arms back in a confident position where you're like, yeah, here I am, you know, and whoa, (laughs) knock that thing over. Um, But yeah. Confident enough position to knock over all your right, camera equipment. I'm doing so well in life. This I don't need this ten thousand dollar <laughs> camera. Fuck I don't this need shit. this. But yeah, that position on its own will increase testosterone, and like yeah. other different positions will decrease stress. And you know, I think that's something that one of my good friends, Aaron Alexander, talks about a lot. And he's he's a movement specialist. But how the body kind of mirrors the emotional state. And the emotional state kind of mirrors the body. Yeah. So we're in this hunched, protective state. Our neurochemistry is going to be hunched and protective, you know, to the extent that it can be. So the cortisol production, the norepinephrine production, all of mm. these things affected by our physicality. So that's a really good insight, you know. So when you're clenching and balled up, and uh, and then if you can just relax that, and especially change your breathing too, because deep belly breathing, you know immediately starts lowering cortisol immediately starts lowering all of these stress markers in the body so again those two lessons like hey adam anchor to your breath hey man put yourself in a positive physical posture and it'll change your actual algorithm of the body itself and yet i've been in probably let's see uh, quick math i mean thousands of therapy sessions in my life and not once have I walked, has a therapist walked in and seen me hunched over and said, hey, let your shoulders go, you know, straight. And that's fucking crazy. That's because fucking it, because crazy. Because it's like all of these schools of thought and wisdom are so siloed. We're so, we're such a brain society and Western yep. psychology is, a, it's a brain sci- science. And I'll put science in very heavy air quotes there because I feel like there's a lot of bullshit in psychology and psychiatry, but yeah. Well, and also like, I, I mean, I talk about the statistics in my book, but they're talking about over half of all medical visits are stress related. Yeah. And like fucking 20% of doctors actually feel equipped to discuss stress management techniques with their patients. Cause, and the other statistic is fewer than half of them do them themselves. They yeah, don't even exactly. know them. So yeah. they don't, they're not doing them themselves. They're stressed, not doing them yeah. themselves. And, and they don't even know how to even talk about it. Although they know from the literature and research that stress is one of the right. primary causes that is bringing the patients through the door. It's like, what? Cause we didn't, the Western medical system didn't evolve for these sort of more holistic practices and right. insights and, yeah, we're paying a, a massive price for it. And I think some it. people expect something different too. Like the yeah. expectations of the patient isn't like that you go in to see your doctor in his fucking lab coat with his stethoscope. <laughs> right. And he's like, hey, let's work on your breathing. Yeah. How are you breathing? You know, let's breathe a little deeper. How's your posture? Let's pull your shoulders back a little bit. Let's relax your neck. Let's get you in a favorable state. And they could trot out all, and this is what doctors should do. They could trot out all yeah. the science and say, look, there's studies that show blah, blah, blah. And that would also make people feel more comfortable. Right, about it's been validated. Things. It's been least. validated, you know, like that Japanese study I always talk about where yeah. six deep breaths starts to change your blood pressure, you know? So when someone tests for high blood pressure, that should be the first fucking thing the doctors say. Like, all right, look, there's some medication options that we have here. But there's a study out of Japan that shows that six deep breaths will start to lower your blood pressure. So let's practice some deep breathing techniques and make sure that you're employing those throughout the day to manage some of that element of blood pressure. And then we can talk about nutrition and then we can talk about the pharmaceutical solutions that are at play, but that ain't what's going on. Yeah, Not yet, yeah. it will be at some point, and it is with some doctors. I mean, part of it is the biggest lobbying uh, by far in the United States is the pharmaceutical industry. They spend orders of magnitude more than even chemical extraction, even more than oil and gas. They're, I don't know if it's billions. I think it is billions, literally billions lobbying. So we have a medical system that has developed in response to legislation that's largely been driven by pharmaceutical company interests yeah and you know i think people hypothesize like a nefarious fucking like dark intentional conspiratorial idea about these pharmaceutical companies but i worked in biotech for a little while and they were small companies mostly trying to do good but ultimately they were they were partnering with some bigger companies and so i got to go into some of those meetings 
ultimately what ends up happening is like the organism takes a life of its own. So the corporate organism becomes an actual organism that is actually supporting other organisms, which are humans that are like cells of the body. Yeah. Right. So the cells of the body are supporting the body because the body is keeping the cells alive, feeding them their money and perhaps yeah. the validation, whatever. And so the organism itself has this desire to grow as all organisms do. It's like kind of part in there. It's, you know, if you're not mature, you try to grow. And then when you're grown, you try to survive, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. And, and it takes on the same characteristics of a life form. So, and it will do that at the cost of other people or at the cost of other things. It's like if the two plants are growing in the jungle, you know, one can and will happily choke out the other plant, you know, so that it can get the sunlight yeah. and it can get the water. And it's not that that one plant is evil. It's just it has a self-interested motivation. It's not in symbiosis with its environment in some cases, like some strangling vines and certain mm -hmm. things. I think collectively it's symbiosis. But nonetheless, um, I, I just think that it's not this. <laughs> I, don't, I really don't believe that it's this conspiracy. Yeah. I just think it's like an organism that's a corporate organism that just wants to fucking I, grow and survive. I talk, I've never heard anyone else articulate it the way you just did, but I actually talk about this in the new show I'm writing where it's, you know, Mitt Romney, this, you know, presidential candidate in I think 2012, he got a lot of flack for saying corporations are people, which is an accepted legal view. And I don't think they're people, but I think they are entities. And if you have mm -hmm. enough people who are putting most of their conscious attention day in and day out on this thing, you are giving it effectively life. You're giving it a, a, a certain collective force. And the driving force behind capitalism now, it wasn't always this way, is the idea of shareholder uh, returns for the shareholders. Yeah, It used to be more being a good corporate citizen. You're gonna enrich your employees, you're gonna provide value for your customers, you're gonna you know, help the town and city where you're based, but now it's all about um, you know, maximizing share, shareholder gains. And so if you have, you know, hundreds or thousands, or in some cases, millions of people working for this corporation, and they're all focused on it, and the end point is maximizing profit. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's that that is the survival mandate of that entity, and it's going to be fucking ruthless. Yeah. And yeah. And, and I think the entities do have a choice to like, because the executive committee of those entities is like the is the brain right. so like the body the body has you know it's getting competing signals all the time you know and the brain kind of can help sort out and decide and like use some thought about that so like for example pathogenic in pathogenic organisms like candida mm -hmm. will send you know they're part of the body so they'll send signals for sugar craving or you know or like to feed themselves to feed themselves yeah. right like so that <clears throat> people with late stage up. hiv have have an incredible desire for sex it's, right yeah it, yeah, yeah weird like, yeah. It, like it wants to propagate yeah. because it's a virus that's a part of your bacteria or a fungus and it becomes co-opted seems into to have the an intention in a, yeah. and so but the brain has the ability to kind of sort that out and be like oh yeah yeah i see that greedy intention for this element of the organism which really isn't healthy and let's make a different choice and mm. i think that's I think that's ultimately what needs to happen is the consciousness of the decision makers can make different choices. Even though the organism has an imperative to survive, it can say, well, this organism, if it must die because it's hurting all of the environment around it, which will eventually kill the organism plus right. all of the things around <laughs> it, it doesn't make sense for us to keep this thing alive. You know? yeah. So I think that, but that expansion of consciousness needs to happen for these yes. organisms to change their nature so that they would be willing to say oh well we if we can't survive other than being parasitic and vampiric to every organism around us or the, yeah. or the collective world at large then we'd rather die and that you know? yeah <laughs> and that and that would be like <laughs> that would be the heroic move of of that but that's hard because then those people might just get weeded out and the and the right, order, right. The order yeah. of, the, of the corporation would just be okay replace those yeah holistic, that's a great point you know kind of um people who are interested in the magnanimous decision yeah altruistic decision makers let's get them the fuck out right. of here so it's an interesting thing especially with a public company because the public mandates that and then there's enough so it's really about not only changing the uh, the mandates and the ideas of 
the management. It's about really changing the ideas and mandates about everybody. Yeah, it's culture. People people don't even want stock in that company. You know, people don't even want, and so everything has to adjust. Yeah, it's. I think it requires almost everyone to have a more holistic view to 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 identify less with themselves and more with the whole. And Mm -hmm. that's. I mean, certainly psychedelics can help catalyze that, but there's no guarantee there either. So. It's one of the most reliable ways to get to a state where you feel self with everything around you. Yeah. Feel self with, you know, the plants and animals around you and the people and the earth and the, you know, expanse of time, the perspective of you, not only in this life, but beyond death, looking back at your life and what you will think. And psychedelics are a real powerful tool to help you with that. I I think there are best chance. Yeah. But I don't think our chances are necessarily spectacular even with them (laughs) but i do think they're our best chance because well actually i was you you quoted pollen in one of your newsletters and it was one of my favorite quotes in his book where psychedelics provide a a graduate level education in the obvious Uh and i think we're blinded to so much of the obvious i mean everything i could say will sound like a cliche because we all know it but it doesn't change shit we're literally poisoning the water we drink Mm -hmm. that doesn't seem like a very adaptive uh, strategy we're destroying the trees that create the oxygen that we need to breathe. We're poisoning the oceans that, you know, without which we can't exist. All this basic, and I'm just focusing on the environmental piece. Yep. You can look at it in economic levels, certainly, where there's obvious things that don't work that we we blind ourselves to. And I mean, yeah, that's some of the most, so bring it back to the ayahuasca experience. That's the most obvious thing in the world, that if I'm in a posture like this, mm. I'm not going to be very chilled out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I didn't, I mean, not once in my life, literally not once in my life before that moment was I in the midst of some sort of OCD episode and think, all right, well, what's going on with my body? Yeah. This thing that's been here the whole time, not once has that happened until that mm-hmm. ayahuasca experience. And now, since that experience, that's become a great tool for me. When I do start spinning here, one of the first things I do, not always, but often, is all right, well, what's going on here? And not always, but often what's going on here is some sort of tension or holding some sort of fight or flight response. And by relaxing that, the obsession may or may not end, but I'm not feeding it more with yeah. cortisol and you know adrenaline and all, all this stuff. What I've really discovered in, in this is a big discovery is <clears throat> there's not really a way to ignore or pretend that you're not feeling what you're feeling. Yeah. You know, like I think there was even some shame around my depression for some periods, you know, so I'd like mask it, pretend it wasn't there, do something to chemically to change <laughs> it, whether that's some alcohol or something. Um, but so you got to remove that. But and, and you got to like really identify, become aware and it really embrace the pain of yeah. whatever you're feeling like. And that's and that's and once you're really aware and like full cognitive and somatic awareness of what's going on and somatic awareness being important like how is your body like responding to it then you start to have the ability to choose your response to that stimulus and in some cases you know there's just pain and it could be emotional pain and what i realized is i wasn't very good at i started like embracing the emotional pain but then i was still exaggerating and adding Mm -hmm. on and piling on and feeding that flame with my own emotional response and my anger whatever was you weren't making up. different choices i wasn't really yeah i was just like no i'm acknowledging my pain but then i was still like exaggerating the fuck out of it yeah rather than a much more peacefully courageous move which is like here is my pain i'm going to sit with it for a while before i start creating logical structures and edifices that are ultimately founded on emotional extrapolation and bullshit you know, I'm just going to sit with the actual sensation of my pain, with the sensation of my fear, and just hold it. Hold it. Okay, now what should I do? And like that, that was just, this is just a real recent, you know, piece of awareness because I recognize that in certain situations of pain, when I was justified to be angry, I wouldn't just, and I'm not like an aggressive, angry person, but I'm like a, I'm like a fucking, 
court attorney angry you <laughs> right. know, where i will like put you on trial and put you in a box where you are fucking getting Bring locked powerpoint yeah. presentation exactly i read december 17th a b c d e f g h i j k i can relate and fucking i'll create this scenario that this righteous sort of righteous yeah. hyper logical thing and and i'll create it not only to punish whoever you know I'm talking to you about it, but to punish myself as well, because I'll use their actions to mean things about myself. Right. And I'll create my own, you know, court case of how much they it don't reinforces love me and who how you much are. they don't yeah. respect me and blah, blah, blah. But or and I and I was still doing that. I've been doing that forever to a certain extent, you know. And I think as I sometimes I try to ignore the emotion, but then it would just kind of build and it would just be festering underneath the surface and it would pop up in some later date in some later way so that wasn't working so i was like all right i gotta embrace the feeling but i was still embracing the feeling and then exaggerating and adding on which i time. wonder is, is that when you say embracing but exaggerating i wonder because for me i can relate to cognitively embracing it but not being willing to feel it in my body so i'm still driving it in some way yeah i mean i think the embracing think, means to feel it fully yeah you gotta like you really gotta like let it in yeah. surrender to it yeah you gotta really because the resistance to it is also its own form of suffering oh like yeah the worst part of getting a, a nose cold is that part where i think it's coming on because then i'm fucking taking extra supplements <laughs> right. i'm dropping right. oregano oil i'm pounding this i'm like oh is this happening is how oh, it's fucking happening and blah 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 you know and so yeah. it's when i actually have the cold i'm like fuck it i got the cold yeah. you know so i think when you get to the point where you just accept the pain and be like oh okay i'm feeling jealousy right now i'm feeling fear right now like where is it and ah, i'm feeling this completely and then you'll you'll feel maybe these little urges like get angry get angry create distance keep keep yourself safe and like no 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 let's go back to the feeling feeling of fear feeling of unworthy feeling of insecurity and then just sit with that and hold and it's really powerful how much that can change the collateral damage that oh, you yeah. do yourself and others with just a little bit of courage in the moment to embrace and to hold, you know, before doing anything to kind of collaborate and cooperate with that that feeling that you have, you know, and, and exaggerate. Just, yeah. It's just a fucking hold and chill. And I'm assuming that that's something that, you know, for people who suffer from ocd or other thing like that like there's that initial impulse yeah. that creates an action but probably there's a way to embrace like oh wow here i am there's fear there's worry there's concern about other people's opinions like let me just fucking feel that without doing anything that that is you 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 nailed it i mean that is i'm not gonna tell the whole mushroom cure here but that was basically what helped me more than anything with the oc with the ocd was the experience i had on more than one trip uh mushrooms but also some other lsd i had this experience actually on 5-meo dmt as well of feeling this overwhelming fear and instead of trying to fix it with some sort of obsessive with obsessive thinking because i couldn't because i was you know zonked out of my mind opening up to it and letting it in letting it be there fully and sometimes it will then transform into something else. Other times it still feels shitty, but at least you're not running or fighting. And yeah. once I had that experience on psychedelics of really surrendering to the thing I wanted to avoid, which in a word was fear, fear of making the wrong decision, fear of not getting the love I need, fear of not being good enough, all those fears. Once I let that fear in and felt it, and for me, I generally tend to feel fear right around the heart area, allowing it to be there, allowing it to expand imagining my breath taking it throughout my body once i did that it neutralized the need to engage in obsessive mm-hmm. thought and compulsive behavior to try to i kind of think of it as like if someone walked into my house and was like i'm gonna punch you in the face i'd be bobbing and weaving and blocking but once they hit me it's gonna hurt but i don't have to worry about avoiding the punch anymore yeah so yeah, yeah. and it's really a phantom punch that you're bobbing right and, and weaving right about uh, the punch is a lot times. less painful than yeah. the than the bobbing and weaving and the frantic yeah avoiding and so i understood this intellectually that acceptance would because this is a tenant of cognitive behavioral therapy which i'd done a ton of for the ocd yeah. but understanding acceptance isn't something you can intellectually understand it's it is it's that visceral thing and so I was only able to actually have the visceral experience of accepting the sensations in my body that I didn't want to be there, 
with psychedelics. Yeah. You know, my, uh, one of my friends and mentors, Ted Decker, he was, I was talking to him about surrender and he was, you know, recommending surrender as a course of action to some challenging feelings I was feeling in the relationship. Mm -hmm. And, and I was like, yeah, surrender. And I was kind of intellectually talking about it and he could tell like, he's like, no, no, man, you know what surrender is? Surrender's when it isn't hard anymore. Mm. And I go, oh, okay, yeah, I haven't been doing that. <laughs> you know, because it's it's such an acceptance that may be painful, but it's not hard. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, it's just, it is what it is. You know, and it's like a, a state, it's the resistance that creates the suffering and exaggerates and creates this illusion of of movement and control. But like surrender is just, oh no, you're just in it. And it's not that hard. It's it's when yeah. you have the nose cold, you know, and you're like, okay, yeah, I got to blow my nose. It's annoying, but it's not hard. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what's hard <laughs> is the moments leading up when you're trying yeah. to like fight it off and like wondering if you got it and how did I do it? And, you know, judging yourself for not getting enough sleep or like, you know, sharing that drink with somebody or whatever, right, the, fuck, whatever the fuck you're doing. You know? and I, but I, and I think part of this comes back to what we started with the evolution, you know, we evolved to destroy threats or avoid them, which makes sense when threats are on the outside. If there's a, you know, saber-toothed cat chasing you, though they didn't chase, I'm researching a lot of this stuff uh, for my new show, they drop down from trees. But if a huge predator- Terrifying. Yeah. It makes sense to, to you know, fight like hell or run away. But when you're dealing with, when the threat is your own internal sensations or your own thoughts, it does not work. But we don't have, we don't have, I think, the evolutionary equipment, and we certainly don't have the cultural- training the social training no no one ever told me how to accept my feelings yeah exactly not, not once was i ever no, given that lesson. a lot of bullshit dates and fucking names and right. treaties and all <laughs> right. kinds of and you learn and those bullshit. people by the way are the people who did fight or flight you know yeah. they were living yeah, yeah, you learn yeah. the externals of of the world which is fight or flight is a damn good strategy when you're dealing with real threats on the outside and it's i think the dominant evolutionary programming we have so to do acceptance and surrender, if a saber-toothed tiger is dropping down on you, opening up to it is not a good survival strategy. But when that saber-toothed tiger is, you know, the thought I'm not lovable enough or, or I've made the wrong decision. So I think, I agree, surrender is easy once you're there. It's not effortful, but it's very hard to peel back the layers of armor and, and fight and programming that prevent us from getting there. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because even if you talk about something, all right, saber-toothed tiger is one example where, but the release of the obsessive thought actually probably makes you safer because it definitely makes you a better fighter, right? You're right, you talk you're not like, here. Or if you listen, if you look at like the Hagakure like this, and the Bushido codes of the samurai, like they would, they knew that anybody who flinched at the thought of the horror that might come, the death, the stabbing, the arrows, the whatever may happen to them they would be more fearful and more vulnerable in battle so they would meditate obsessively over uh, the ways that they could die you know and become aware of that so that they could embrace and kind of surrender to the fact that they were going to die at mm. some point and how they could die and that would actually allow them to fight more fluidly and yeah. fight more heroic and, and mma fighters have the same thing like I listened to John Jones, who um, may or may not have taken steroids, but nonetheless is a fucking great <laughs> uh -huh. fighter. And he was talking about his when in his first fight with DC, he was just out at dinner and I was sitting at the table next to him. And he was talking about he's imagined every worst case scenario and he's accepted all of those worst case scenarios and he's not afraid. And yeah. he came out like a man possessed in that fight and was just fighting free and fluid and obviously did what he did and, and you know, retained the title. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting because I think there is that surrender and acceptance, even in situations where you think you got to fight, like a fighter's yeah. got to like hold on really tight. But when you're talking, when I'm talking with the champions and in, in any sport and any athlete, yeah. it's kind of a release and an acceptance, you know, to the possible outcomes that might be there that ultimately allows that freedom because it allows you to be in the present moment. And the present moment is where you're fast. It's where you think the best, it's yeah. where you get 
access to information and instincts. Maybe it's a smell. You can smell that tiger's asshole up there on the tree. But if you're obsessing about, you know, worrying right. about things, you're not going to be able to smell or hear. Right. Is or this dude going to invent fire before me? That <laughs> yeah. motherfucker. Yeah, exactly. He's going to steal my woman because she's going to be warm at night because I can't make this fire. You know, and then the fucking cat gets you. And meanwhile, yeah. you could have been hearing the rustling on the bark and the, you know, smell of that feline butt. And, yeah. And you could have been okay. So I think in some ways like we have this idea that there are oh there's some situations you got to really hold on tight but for the most part when you're doing anything effectively you're surrendering in some way to the present moment to your own power to your own training to your own everything and i think that's a really good thing to remember that yeah that even when you're in a fight there's an element of acceptance and surrender that actually allows you to be a better fighter Absolutely. I mean, and I see that as a performer too, is the times where, you know, there's sometimes I'll have to audition for something and, uh, and almost invariably, sometimes the extra kick, you know, helps, but almost invariably I'm more tight, but then there have been times where I'm auditioning and let's say it has to be a clean, I'm doing stand up, it has to be a clean set. I can't swear. And, and I say fuck early on. And then I'm like, all right, well, I'm out of contention for this. And then I can relax and it goes so much better. Yeah. It's that, um, yeah, so I mean, I think part of the challenge is even when the stakes are high, being able to surrender. It's easy to surrender when the stakes are are low. You know, you're trying to perform something, but I think when the stakes are high, yeah. there is that, because it is counterintuitive, but I agree, you're gonna do your best if you actually do let go and trust the training, trust, you know, all the subconscious material that's there, everything that you've worked on up to that point. Sur- like surrender and not caring are different things too you know so mm-hmm. i agree with you like the, yeah the stakes high surrender is like right more of a true surrender because you have resistance you can't surrender to not resistance so if you're like blase 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 i don't really care that's not really surrender because you didn't have pressure so right you didn't have anything to accept you know so it's just kind of like neutral yeah. you know but there's real power when there is pressure when you do care when there's pressure and and that force of resistance and then you surrender to that force like that's where there's real power and that's where you can catalyze that into something beautiful i mean that is the the muse right yeah yeah where you're just channeling and Mm -hmm. and i think the world we live in though i mean i I, i'm talking about this a bit in the new sean writing too where we talk about being in our bodies now i i wonder if that phrase existed you know even a hundred years ago because i feel like when you lived in a world of existential threats of saber-toothed tigers you had to be in your body. You couldn't just be up here. You, right. you couldn't, the people who were up here, they didn't make it. Right. And even more recently, I mean, even if you worked in an office 30 years ago, you needed a file, you'd get up, you'd walk down the hall, you'd pick up a physical file, you'd page through it. You'd just be more engaged with your bodies. Whereas now for most of us, it's, you know, our fingers or our thumbs basically. Mm. And I think it, that, that plays into just getting more and more trapped in here. Yep. And it's, yeah. Fully integrated humans yeah boom that's that's the goal that's the goal yeah. well shit man yeah it's good to have you come by yeah thanks for having me um you're still touring the mushroom cure and then you got a new I'm, show coming out in january huh i'm gonna be launching a new show um probably called the uncertainty principle i'm not certain about that <laughs> but it's uh in uh in san francisco in, in january about kind of a sequel to the mushroom cure i mean not exactly but just very open as to what's going on with me now and this and as well as the fact that i kind of I feel like the challenges that we're facing or one of them is, you know, this desire, this conflict between the human desire to know for security and certainty and the fact that we don't know what the fuck is going on. We don't know shit. Yeah. So, uh, and then do you can surrender to that too? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Beautiful, man. Well, I'll tweet out some of the dates and stuff. Cool. uh, Thank you. And uh, hopefully people will jump in and see. Yeah. That'd be great. Hopefully I can catch a show too. Yeah. Great catching up with you, man. Yeah. Yeah. Good to see you're doing well. Thank you, man. Yeah. Everything is going good. Good, good. All right. Take care, everybody. See you next week. (laughs) One of the questions that always comes up when I do a podcast that talks a lot about psychedelics is, where do I go to do psychedelics? And I wish I had a great answer for all of you guys. There's been places that I've gone myself. And one of my best plant medicine teachers, Don Howard Lawler, he's retired. So the options are getting even more limited. So I encourage everybody, do your research find great practitioners, find a great place you can go, follow your instincts, follow the reviews, talk to people. It's challenging for me to recommend any particular place. I don't have any vested interest in any place at all, but I just encourage you guys, if you're interested, if you feel the calling, do the research, 
and hopefully here soon a lot of these things are going to be legalized and there's going to be options locally so you don't have to hop on that big old flight down to peru or wherever it is that you got to go to get these transformational experiences thanks for listening to the podcast everyone hope you're having a great holiday season i love you guys you're the best i'm looking forward to this new year with all of you